and that all mistakes will be corrected. You're listening to the news on RTHK. AM, FM and live online. This is Radio 3. Good morning, it's 8.03 in Hong Kong on Tuesday the 27th of September. This is Peter Lewis welcoming you to Money Talk on Radio 3. The OECD said the global economy will expand just 2.2% in 2023, down from a previous forecast of 2.8%. The new projection for the year means outputs will be $2.8 trillion less than officials had predicted at the end of 2021. Paris-based organization slashed its GDP forecasts for all but one of the G20, with only Indonesia featuring a moderately higher outlook. Europe is expected to be the hardest hit, with the OECD now expecting Germany to contract 0.7% next year. The US economy is projected to grow just half a percent next year. In China, growth will slow to 3.2% this year amid repeated COVID-19 shutdowns and a crisis in the property market. But policy support could help growth recover in 2023, the OECD said. Hong Kong's trade performance worsened last month with the value of total exports sliding 14.3% year on year. That's the most since the start of the pandemic in early 2020. It marked the fourth straight month of decline and outpaced the drop of nearly 9% in July. Exports to major economies plunged, plummeting 54% to the UK, almost 25% to Japan and off 20% to the mainland. Imports, meanwhile, fell by 16.3% from a year earlier. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by Andrew Sullivan at Outset Global and Will Benya from Gavacal. With a view from Japan is John Byrne of the Asian Development Bank Institute. And please get in contact with any questions or comments by texting 6393-5925. You can email moneytalk at rthk.hk, post on our Facebook page, Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3, or tweet us at Money Talk Radio 3. Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. There's been huge volatility in the financial markets over the past 24 hours across all the major asset classes. On Wall Street, US stocks fell for a fifth straight session and the S&P 500 notched a new closing low for 2022. The index declined 1% to 3,655, falling below the June low and to the weakest close since December 2020. The Dow slipped into a bear market, dropping 330 points, or 1.1%, to 29,261, with losses accelerating in the final moments of trading. The index is down 20.4% from its January the 4th closing high. The Nasdaq Composite fell 0.6% to 10,803. The Pan-European Stock 600 index fell 0.4%. London's FTSE 100 ended the day unchanged. Here in Hong Kong, stocks ended with more losses on Monday after hitting the lowest level since November 2011 on Friday. The Hang Seng, which lost 4.4% last week, dropped 78 points, or 0.4%, to 17,855. The tech index rebounded 1.6% after tumbling 7% last week. 
shares of Tencent bounced 3% in Hong Kong after the company repurchased shares for 25 consecutive trading days. And Macau Casino stocks jumped after the SAR said it expected to receive mainland tour groups from November for the first time in nearly three years. Sands China surged 15.7%, SJM Holdings jumped 11.6% and Win Macau rose over 11%. HSBC sank 7.5% to an almost 12-month low amid fears of a financial crisis in the UK. And on the mainland, the Shanghai Composite Index tumbled 1.2% to 3,051. Commodities have been hit by the surging US dollar, with Bloomberg's Commodity Spot Index falling to its lowest level in eight months. Brent crude oil settled down 2.4% at $84.06 a barrel. That's its lowest level since January. Gold is down 1.2% at $1,628 an ounce. That's the lowest level since April 2020. And there's been a huge movement in government bond markets overnight. The US 10-year Treasury note added 24 basis points to 3.92%. That's its highest level since April 2010. A sale of U.S. two-year treasuries on Monday was issued with the highest yield of any two-year auction since 2007 at 4.29%. And U.K. gilts have plummeted as traders ramp up Bank of England rate height bets, sending the 10-year yield surging 43 basis points to 4.24%. And that's the biggest jump in yields in 40 years and the first time since 2010 that the 10-year yield has been above 4%. Traders are now pricing in more than 200 basis points of rate increases by the Bank of England uh, before its next meeting in November. The US dollar has continued its meteoric rise with the US dollar index surging 1.2% to a new 20-year high of 114.25. Has eased back now this morning to 113.95, up 0.8% on the day. And the US dollar index has risen 19% so far this year. The British pound plunged almost 5% at one stage to a record low of 1.033. And British pound futures markets on the CME were, were halted as circuit breakers kicked in during a day of unprecedented volatility. Sterling later recovered to trade at a high of about $1.09 after the Bank of England said it wouldn't hesitate to raise rates. But it's now falling again. Right now, it's at $1.07.5 and 8 Hong Kong dollars and 45 cents. The euro is down 0.9% at 96 cents. The Japanese yen slipped 0.8%. It's at 144.46, erasing its gains from last week when Japan intervened in the currency markets for the first time in 24 years. An offshore Chinese yuan has broken through the 7.15 per dollar mark for the first time since May 2020. It's continued its slide as the day wore on, and this morning it's at $7.17. Uh, That's a 28-month low, and it's closing in on its 40-year low of 7.20. The yuan has lost about 4% over the past month, and it's on track for its biggest annual decline since 1994. And the People's Bank of China raised the risk reserve requirement for FX forward sales yesterday from 0 to 20% in an attempt to stem the slide.
Bitcoin's down a third of a percent at $19,100. And a quick look around Asia-Pacific stock markets this morning. The SX200 up 0.2%. Markets in Japan closed for a holiday this morning. The Cosby in South Korea off 0.2%. And it looks like uh, there's going to be a decline of about 30 points or so for the Hang Seng at the open this morning. Times 8.11, let's try and get to grips with what's going on in the financial markets this morning. To help us, we have with us Andrew Sullivan, Managing Director at Outset Global. Morning, Andrew. Good morning. And also we have Will Denyer with us, U.S. Economist at Gavacal. Morning to you, Will. Good morning, Peter. So let's start with this uh, U.S. dollar surge. As we heard there um, uh, earlier on, the U.S. dollar's higher across the board. The U.S. dollar index at a new uh, 20-year high, and the U.S. dollar index has risen 19% uh, so far. Uh, this year. Um, Andrew, this is really creating a big problem, isn't it, for all sorts of uh, risk assets, including stocks and, and bonds. And in the past, when we've seen this kind of dollar strength, it's led to some kind of financial or economic crisis. Are, are we veering towards something again? Oh, I think that's definitely the case. I mean, the whole point is that people have got to reappress, you know, re reprice the, the value of cash and, and of risk uh, and remodel their portfolios on the basis of that. But in the short term, it's the fact that the, the Fed is taking very aggressive action, as is all the other banks. And a lot of that is because, you know, since we started QE back in the first financial crisis, we really haven't um, unwound that position. So there's all that excess liquidity just sitting out there, and that's now coming home to roost. Mm. Um, Will, well, I suppose one of the things about this dollar strength is that we know the Fed is raising rates, but so is nearly every other major central bank in the world as well. They're also uh, tightening monetary policy at a historically uh, hawkish pace. So why is it that it's the US dollar that's surging against pretty well everything? Because the Fed is doing so at the most historic pace. Um, <laughs> so you have the ECB is hiking rates at a pace of well, most recently a 75 basis point, similar to the Fed, uh, but it's not contracting its balance sheet. It's afraid to do that because that will reduce its firepower for containing spreads between different uh, sovereigns within the European Union. And of course, it doesn't want uh, the European Union project, or, or I should say, Euro area project to, to be threatened. Uh, meanwhile, the Bank of England uh, has not yet started balance sheet contraction. Now they're planning to next uh, next month start that mm. um, and up until recently you know their most recent rate hike disappointed the markets at only 50 base points compared to 75 and uh, at the Fed and the ECB and then of course there's the Bank of Japan who is still steadfastly committed to uh, ultra loose monetary policy so they are the the, the lone exception to to your rule there um, the only the only tightening of any form that they're doing is FX intervention. Mm. Um, and the problem is they're doing that unilaterally, and that's very difficult to do. Does this, um, if the dollar continues at this pace, does it cause the Fed maybe to pause and think a little bit about how aggressive it needs to be? Short answer is no. Uh, I think what would cause the Fed to pause or, or at least slow down their tightening is, is a few things. One is uh, signs that economic growth is coming down enough to slow inflation pressures. Now, th that's a key point. I, growth coming down itself is is not 
enough. They are completely focused on inflation. But they do want to see softening in demand. They want to see job openings coming down, which would indicate a reduction in wage pressures and whatnot. Then they actually want to see two things on the inflation front. They want to see actual inflation trending down. It doesn't have to necessarily get back to 2% year on year before they change uh, policy because there's long and variable lags. But they want to see that at least starting to trend down mm. uh, on a sequential basis. They also want to see inflation expectations coming down. Um, now, we've seen some preliminary signs of softening there. Uh, but not enough. And actually, you'll recall that at the, not the, the most recent, but the previous FOMC meeting, Powell actually came out with his first kind of hints at dovish comments in, in months where he said, actually, I think we're getting close to the neutral rate and whatnot. And that sparked a rally in markets. Uh, but what it also did was caused inflation expectations that had been trending down up till then. And I think is one of the reasons why he started to kind of talk a little bit more dovishly. Mm. I mean, dovish is a strong word, less hawkishly. Um, when those inflation expectations jump back up, I think he learned a lesson. Um, and so I think he's going to be much more cautious going forward about signaling any sort of easing up on the brakes until he actually gets, you know, 10-year break-even inflation rates back down to 2% uh, or below and, and signs that it's staying there. Andrew, what does this mean for stocks? Because this is quite a big headwind now, isn't it, for U.S. company um, earnings? Has that been fully priced in? Do you think in the in the latest declines that we're seeing uh, on Wall Street? Well, the earnings are always a bit of a lag. So, I mean, the next set of earnings probably won't fully reflect, you know, the recent moves that we've seen. That'll take time. A lot of it is still about expectations, as we're talking about. You know, people in the West do tend to sort of tighten their belts slowly um, as these economic uh, influences change. Um, less so in Asia. Asia is much more a sort of the tap is either on or off. So it, it's going to have some significant um impacts coming through and and realistically it's it's we've already seen it you know people looking at uh, value plays versus growth and things like that but the reality is it, it's it's coming back to price pricing risk and money properly uh, and that hasn't had to happen while while money has been cheap uh, as the cost of money goes up then obviously you have to look at the companies that don't have huge amounts of debt that do have pricing power and are able to pass those costs on to their consumers uh, as being the more uh, stable companies that you want to invest in. Well, let's ask, let me ask you about the British pound, which has been the most volatile uh, in the past few days. Overnight, uh, it plunged to an all-time low, 5% in a single day to uh, just above $1.03. It has recovered a bit right now. It's at $1.07 and three quarters of a cent. It's also at eight Hong Kong dollars and 46 cents. A lot of people have been telling me on Twitter they remember um, a few years ago when it was at about 16, uh, per, uh, 16 Hong Kong dollars per pound. Those days have, uh, have long gone. Um, the, also, the, the guilt yields, they're surging as well, aren't they? So it's, it's extremely rare to see the currency of a developed market fall at the same time that its government bond yields are, are surging. This is the sort of price action you see um, in emerging markets when they're suffering a big loss of confidence. So is that what we're seeing here? Is the UK now in the middle of a currency crisis? I think it's in the middle of a confidence crisis. I think Larry Summers summed it up that it's gone from a, you know, to, from an emerging sort of scenario to a submerging scenario. Mm. Um, you've had a, a 
what was supposed to be a mini budget that was, you know, not, by no means was it small in any it of its... It wasn't mini at all, was it? In any of its contexts. And, and the fact that, you know, despite the initial reaction to that being poor, they, they continued to double down on that over the weekend. And I think the thing we saw on Monday was that in Asia it was the first opportunity to react uh, to sterling, and that's why it got hit so hard. Once you got the European market starting to open is when you saw the currency rebound as investors could could hedge against other things. Um, and I think you'll continue to see that in Asian time until the European markets open. The pound is likely to come under more pressure because you know there's very little else that people can hedge their European exposure by. Well, what do you make of this UK budget? A lot of people are describing it as irresponsible and a huge gamble. Others have been saying it's going to be great for growth. And we had Raphael Bostic uh, of the Atlanta Fed uh, saying this raises the odds of a global recession. What, what do you make of it? Well, I think it largely hinges on what happens in the energy market in the coming months and quarters. Uh, there's three components of the policy um, trajectory that the UK is going down. One is tax cuts. Mm. Uh, no complaint there. Uh, the UK is going to have but the, the, a huge the, unfunded tax cuts. The, yeah, yeah, so we'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> so the, the UK has um, uh, 19% corporate tax, the lowest in the G20. Uh, they've promised, you know, previously they were going to raise that. They're not going to do that. Um, and so uh, on that front, that tends to actually be positive for your currency. You'll recall that when the U.S., um, uh, you know, the GOP swept the elections with Trump and everybody, um, they the, the dollar rallied because there was plans of corporate tax cuts. So that makes you more competitive and tends to boost your currency. Um, then, on, then there's the spending component. And I think here is the real problematic bit, which is um, that they've basically – instituted price caps on electricity and gas um and and so if it, at like half wholesale prices as i understand i haven't looked into the um, dirty details but um that means that if gas prices and electricity prices come down this is going to cost a lot less than anticipated and if they go mm -hmm. up it's going to cost a lot more than anticipated so that's a huge wild card and if i had to guess that's largely what the market is reacting to which is you're you're basically gambling on what energy markets do uh, and also price caps uh, you know just don't work i mean econ 101 tells you that that's, they're just a terrible idea um you don't get the natural you know, um, demand responses to rising prices that you should when you cap the prices, and so you just get into shortages and, and problems. Um, then there's the third element, which is the uh, the government is hoping and pressuring the, the, the Bank of England to respond to this very loose fiscal policy with tighter monetary policy. Now, if they follow through with that, again, that could be positive for the currency. So I think the, there's a bunch of big ifs here. So the way that sterling could turn around is if the uh, tax cuts do encourage growth, do attract investment, if the energy prices uh, are, and electricity prices fall, and so this ends up costing less in government spending than anticipated, and if the EC, the sorry, keep saying ECB, the Bank of England does what it's supposed to do and hikes rates sufficiently then you could see uh, sterling rebound. But those are three big ifs. But tell me, how does this help? ultimately households because on the one hand um you're you're trying to cap their energy costs and and you know reduce their costs there so great they're going to cheer that but then on the other hand their mortgages are sorry so what's been given in one hand is being taken away with the other because you may have reduced energy inflation and you've replaced it instead with housing inflation or housing cost inflation i should say yeah i mean 
there's no easy answer here. You've got uh, you've got a lot of inflation. We had um, uh, you know a lot of easy money for a lot of time, and and now the central banks are having to tighten. And if they don't, they're just going to have a bigger problem down the road. Um, so there's no easy solution to that. And and we've got a, a war in Ukraine and an energy crisis. And mm. so I yeah I don't think there's any easy way out. Andrew, what about out here? We're seeing the renminbi and the yen, which are really the two big anchor currencies um, in the region, also um, sliding. The yen's at a 24-year low. Uh, the the, uh, the the yuan as well now is uh, is sliding. Uh, so what was it? Uh, I think I said an eight-year low. So what, what what's the impact of all of that? Well, it's still further problems here. And I think one of the other things we should just mention, I mean, on, on the mortgage rates, is, I mean, the Hong Kong, 97% of our mortgages are on a floating rate. So as the Fed hikes and uh, the uh, the local banks uh, follow suit, that's going to cause a lot of problems per, you know, locally. But I think, as we were saying earlier, I mean, the yen problem really comes from the fact that Kuroda is not going to change his mind. And until he, until he actually leaves office, I don't think there's a lot of scope for Japan changing its course of economic action there as far as the BOJ is concerned. So you're going to concede that continue to weaken. And with the yuan, um, we have equal problems there. I mean, Xi has taken the... Uh, you know, his three red, red lines on property and the unintended consequences of those clampdowns, both on property, on education uh, and on e-commerce, uh, is really going to help hurt the whole economy uh, and hurt the, uh, you know, the status of the currency. Mm. The yuan, I should say, it's on course for a 14-year low, 7.20 uh, is, the, is the 14-year low. Right now, the offshore yuan... Uh, is trading at 7.16. And um, they, they have a bit of a problem as well this week, especially because we've got Golden Week next week. So with international markets moving so quickly, you have to remember that the PBOC is going to be somewhat disadvantaged by having the Chinese markets on holiday and, and little scope to really do anything to impact what's happening with the currency. Will, final word to you very quickly. What, what do you see the impact here in, in Hong Kong of, these, of the Fed rising rates and the HKMA having to follow suit? Uh, I think it was said very well that, you know, you've got variable rate mortgages and, uh, yeah, the, the, the era of easy money is going and you've got a very highly valued property market. Um, so it's, it's a problem. Okay, well, thank you both very much. You heard there Wuldenia, U.S. economist at Gavakal, Andrew Sullivan, managing director at Outset Global. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio Three. Times 8.25 on the phone from Tokyo is John Byrne, Vice Chair of Research at the Asian Development Bank Institute. Morning, John. Good morning, Peter. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Well, let's continue this discussion about uh, the huge volatility in the currency markets. The Japanese yen not escaping. It's down at a 24-year low again. It seems to have given up all the gains that... Um, it made last week after the um, after Japan stepped into the currency markets for the first time in uh, I think it was twenty four years, wasn't it? Um, so, th is is this um, intervention to boost the yen? Do you think it's going to work? Well, of course, as you know, the the intervention was um, initiated in order to restore some strength um, into the yen, and um, this is you know as classic textbooks will tell us this is not likely to be effective in a sustainable way mm. in the absence of coordinated action or in the absence of uh, moves in monetary policy itself. Um, so I think that the intervention um, was 
essentially to shore up speculative uh, short positions on the end. Um, that said, you know, fundamentals remain in that the, the gap between the, the U.S. and Japanese monetary policy rates are um, dominating uh, the the position that we see the yen in at the moment. So what could boost the yen then? If it's not intervention and we have this huge gap, as you say, between yields in Japan and the US, what's it going to take to boost the yen? Yeah, I think internally there are a couple of sort of structural factors that could be important. Namely, um, recently tourism has opened up and, and this can have some impact on increasing demand for the yen. As mm. well as that... Um, over the years, I think one of the one of the factors which has sort of diluted the impact of the exchange rate on net exports has been the offshoring of production um, from Japan. So a reintroduction of those manufacturing um, bases into Japan, given the weakness of the yen, would help to strengthen um, the yen itself. And um, but I think that you know the main issue at the moment is the interest rate differential, and we are waiting to see really when the tide would turn. Um, so when there would be a peak in U.S. rates and a narrowing in the uh, interest rate differentials, and that would tilt um, demand back towards the end and um, avert the, the continued depreciation. I mean, it should make Japanese companies super competitive, shouldn't it, at the moment? But it, it doesn't seem to be boosting exports at the moment. Why is that? Yes, that's right. As I said, um, the, the effects... The classic effect on exports is not really uh, manifesting at the moment. Um, well, first of all, there's obviously a delay with which this would take place anyway. But as well as that, as I said, there's been a lot of offshoring of uh, manufacturing from Japan since the last 20 years. I think around 40% of manufacturing has shifted offshore since 1995. And this has also been uh, taking place uh, since the earthquake for risk management uh, purposes as well. Um, and the effect of this is to dilute the, the classic effect of uh, exchange rate depreciation on net exports. As well as that, we have a weaker external demand situation, which um, is also um, not helping with the, the effect on, on the trade balance. Well, one of the issues is that, I mean, the Japanese yen, it used to be regarded as a safe haven currency. It's also really an anchor currency, along with the Chinese yuan, uh, for Asia, isn't it, really? Against which, you know, a lot of other currencies... Uh, a sort of base their uh, rates and their policies. If, if the fact that it is so weak, along with the Chinese yuan, what does that mean for other countries in Asia? It's a problem for them as well, isn't it? Yes, of course it is. I mean, you talked about the safe haven status. I think that um, there are important considerations to take into account in the current environment. And the first one is the, the trade balance situation. So usually a safe haven currency will have uh, trade will be backed by a trade surplus. And at the moment, the, the energy price developments have uh, dramatically changed um, the trade balance situation in Japan more towards a deficit. Um, so I think that, yes, of course, there, are, there will be spillover effects to other Asian economies, given the important role that the yen in particular plays um, for, for credit, for example, as well as for investment across the region. Um, but as I said before, I think that um, a narrowing in um, interest rate differentials will be will be the key factor to look mm. at going forward. And if that doesn't happen, are we heading for a currency crisis, maybe simultaneous currency crisis in several countries at once? 
Well, I think that, you know, a reversion of uh, the interest rate differential or a narrowing of this differential is inevitable. Um, there, there are talks of recession risk at the global level um, led by the U.S. And this will, this will by itself uh, lead to a narrowing in this uh, yen uh, dollar um, interest rate differential that we observe at the moment. Um, and basically tilt um, flows back towards uh, Japan. Okay, John, thank you very much. That's John Byrne, Vice Chair of Research at the Asian Development Bank Institute. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. In the markets, uh, stocks are rebounding in the Asia-Pacific region. The SX200 now up half a percent. Markets are closed in Japan uh, today. The Cosby in South Korea is now flat. And futures on the Hang Seng have turned around, pointing to a gain now of about 40 points when trading gets going. I'll be back tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock. Please join me then. Back chat's coming up after the news with Jim Gould and Mike Rouse. Uh, the weather forecast for today, mainly cloudy, one or two showers. Sunny intervals during the day, maximum temperature around 32 degrees and then windy with a few showers tomorrow. Uh, there is a strong monsoon signal in force. It's 29 degrees, 70% relative humidity. Times 8.31, here's Andrew Shrosky with the half-hour news. Thanks, Peter. The Bolong Cook has reported a member of staff to the police over alleged child abuse. The charitable organization also said it had suspended the employee from work after it found she'd pushed six young children down onto a playmat. More details from Todd Harding. The Social Welfare Department has confirmed it uncovered the alleged abuse when officials visited the childcare centre in question on September the 16th and reviewed footage from a surveillance camera. The department said an initial investigation showed six children were involved. It added that in light of the incidents, it had sent experts to review more records at the centre, question its staff and examine the health and mental conditions of all of the children. Neither the department nor the Poland Cook has said which childcare centre the alleged abuse took place at. Health officials have reported 4,034 new COVID cases, including 188 imported ones. More than 2,000 patients are being treated in public hospitals, 15 of them in intensive care. 12 more patients with COVID have died. The United States has warned Russia that it will impose further economic sanctions if Moscow annexes more territory in Ukraine. Yesterday saw the fourth day of voting in discredited referendums that Russia has been staging in occupied regions of Ukraine. The White House spokeswoman, Corinne Jean-Pierre, condemned the ballots. When it comes to the sham referendum, the sham votes that we're seeing in the last couple of days, we will continue to work with our allies and partners to hold uh, Russia accountable. We are prepared to impose additional swift and severe economic costs on Russia, uh, along with our allies and partners, in response to these actions that we're seeing currently, uh, if they move forward uh, with annexation. In his nightly video address, Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky described the military situation in the eastern Donetsk region as particularly severe. Britain's central bank has said it won't hesitate to take action to control inflation after the pound sterling slumped to an all-time low against the U.S. dollar. The government's new economic policies announced last week, last week have sparked fears about Britain's financial stability. The BBC's Faisal Islam reports. The Treasury and the Bank of England moved to try to reassure some sceptical markets about the stability of Britain's debts and its currency. 
the Chancellor promised a plan to get debt down alongside long-awaited independent forecasts, and the Bank of England indicated it was prepared to raise interest rates aggressively. But sterling remained significantly weaker than before the government's announcement of £45 billion of tax cuts without clearly communicating its plans for the surge in borrowing to fund them. And a human rights group says at least 76 people have now been killed during a wave of unrest in Iran that's lasted 10 days. Iran Human Rights said the deaths had been spread across 14 provinces and accused the Iranian security forces of firing directly at protesters. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Jim Gould and your co-host today, a guest presenter, is Mike Rouse. Good morning again, Mike. 